0: From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on August 31st, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. Now, in this episode, we talked to Associated Press religion reporter and editor Tiffany Stanley about faith and the campaign trail, specifically her recent story on Republican presidential candidates Senator Tim Scott and former Governor Nikki Haley. Our two homegrown candidates here. See what we're talking to her, right? Tiffany's also from Lexington, South Carolina. So we are hitting everything now. In that conversation, we'll look at the power of the evangelical vote in 2024. Now we got a double dip for you folks. No, not voicemails. We got two reporters on this podcast. That's right. South Carolina Public Radio's Mayon Schechter joins us in studio to discuss Congressman Jeff Duncan's annual Faith and Freedom barbecue. And we hear from some folks that she spoke with in the crowd of some 2,100 conservatives now even though we've heard from them we want to hear from you that's right 803-563-7169 that's a number that you know that we know that you can call anytime day or night 24 uh, to let us know what's going on in your world what you're interested in hearing more of less of what you like the host what you don't like the wind down anything let us know 803 563 three five six three seven six nine you can leave your name where you're calling from, and what's on your mind. And if you don't want to be on the pod, just let us know. You can also text 803-563-7169. First up, can South Carolina's Haley and Scott woo the GOP's white evangelical base away from Trump? That was the headline on Associated Press' religion reporter and editor's Tiffany Stanley's recent story, which you can read in our show notes and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Now I want to know more about this story, so we gave Tiffany, a South Carolina native, a shout. Here's that conversation.
1: I'm born and raised in Lexington County. I'm a native. So I've watched both Senator Scott and Ambassador Haley's careers from afar with a lot of interest. I find them fascinating and their backgrounds. And as somebody that's interested in religion, they also kind of bring a lot to unpack. You know, Haley was raised Sikh and she converted to Christianity. You know, Scott grew up in the Black Baptist Church. He now goes to a predominantly white megachurch in Mount Pleasant. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikki has been a part of a a large, like the largest Methodist church in South Carolina. Um, So they both are part of these kind of influential churches. And so what we wanted to do is kind of look at the ways that they navigate their own biography that frankly looks different than the Republican primary voters in a lot of ways. And so how do they appeal? How do they talk about their narratives and You know as somebody that loves religion and politics there's just a lot to unpack there
0: Mm -hmm. and i guess what did your story explore what did you find out about these connections and uh how much how big of a role their church is playing in their campaign
1: so this piece ended up being a dual faith profile of both of them which was challenging. I mean, they're from the same place. They were born and raised in the same state, but they're very different people in a lot of ways, but their candidacies are also so overlapping. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do them together, but they're a bit different in how they approach faith. You know, Scott, as most of us know in particular, has made faith a central part of his pitch to voters. You know, his tagline is faith in America. He quote scripture on the campaign trail, you know, he kind of sounds like a pastor, which he thought about actually becoming. So that's like a part of his narrative. And Nikki Haley, meanwhile, has kind of walked a fine line between honoring her Sikh roots and her parents and her Christian conversion to Methodism. So both are, are members of influential churches, but they're both candidates of color kind of seeking this overwhelmingly white evangelical voter base in South Carolina and in these early primary states. As we found out, you know, they still have a long way to go to woo that slice of the electorate, Mm -hmm. which still is really strongly in favor of former President Trump.
0: Yeah. And before we get into like, you know, looking more at the evangelical vote and the faith vote, you do talk about mentioning how Scott quotes scripture on the campaign trail. And when you see him on stage, uh, he doesn't like, you know, if there's like two chairs set up, he just like sit in one. He like walks around. He works the room. He's always like acting like one of those preachers, uh, like you're saying, that he really connects with. So that's a, his way of connecting with the crowd too. And does drop those Bible verses. We don't see so much from Haley. So I guess it's kind of just like a, a little bit of an approach. I mean, she does definitely mention her faith on the trail. And I think that's her way of connecting with folks too. But I really feel more of it from Senator Scott. Have you seen them both in action?
1: Yeah. And I totally agree. You know, Senator Scott really brings that as a central part of his stump speech, you know, and he like at Jeff Duncan's barbecue last week, you know, he got down off the stage. He's like walking around. He's, you know, telling his story. Um, He's comfortable. And one of the Mm -hmm. experts I interviewed who looks at kind of evangelical rhetoric, she said, you know, Listening to him, he could be like Joel Osteen. You mm-hmm. know, he sounds kind of like this idea of optimism, of bettering yourself, kind of this language we hear in evangelical megachurches. Um, so he really brings that. Nikki Haley is more understated. And I think part of that is she is part of a mainline Protestant tradition, which has evangelicalism in it, but it is a little bit more understated with how they talk about their faith. It's more about mm-hmm. Action and less about quoting kind of scripture. And her aides, her longtime aides said that. They said, you know, her faith is very personally important to her, Mm -hmm. but she's not one to like tweet, or I guess it's not tweet anymore, to post uh, Bible (laughs) verses. Uh It's like personally important. And she has like very close relationships with certain evangelical leaders. Like Mm -hmm. she's very comfortable in different settings like that, but she's not like a pastor kind of on the stump.
0: Double check, because she did have a... um... I can't remember the the name of the pastor that was at her presidential launch.
1: Yes, so that's actually a really important, I think, piece of her outreach to Mm -hmm. the evangelical community is um, Pastor John Hagee was at her launch. And he's he's an interesting figure. He's part of the Christian Zionist movement and Mm -hmm. a part of um, this group of evangelicals where Israel is a really important issue to them. And we hear that a lot, my team, from evangelicals. Like, obviously, we hear about abortion, LGBT rights, different issues that come up um, from social conservatives. But actually, Israel comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And John Hagee used to be a bit of a fringe figure, I think, in Republican politics. And now he's someone who everyone courts his vote and his support and the support of his organization, which has tons of members. And so Nikki Haley actually spoke at their um, gathering, their annual gathering this summer. You know, he spoke at her campaign launch, she's mm-hmm. traveled to Israel with him. The crowd at his convention in DC loved her. Like I think a couple years ago, they gave her like their top award as somebody that like stands with Israel. And so that's one way, like her foreign policy, her UN work, her like diehard support of Israel. Like yeah. that's something that really um, appeals to evangelical voters, and is one of the ways that she's able to kind of signal that mm-hmm. and kind of court that vote.
0: And I guess we're really seeing that contrast right now, especially with her attacks with Vivek Ramaswamy and him, like, you know, her spinning up a lot of the stuff about his support for Israel and questioning that. And then, uh, you know, tying that into foreign policy and just kind of maybe like signaling to a lot of folks who are paying attention, uh, you know, what that means, I guess, in the bigger picture when it comes to Israel and support for Israel.
1: Definitely. Yeah, that seemed like a really key moment in the debates because mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's hard to tell, like, what are the differences between the candidates, and where do they differ? And but those
0: you know, Jewish, but those Jewish voters are like they're hearing that they're listening. They're like, oh, like who's more of an advocate? Who's supporting what more?
1: Exactly. And she made it clear, like, I stand with Israel. And Mm -hmm. so she's not only talking to kind of conservative Jewish voters, she also is kind of talking to conservative evangelical voters that really want us to have strong ties with Israel for theological reasons and Mm -hmm. political reasons. And so she kind of she really hit, um, you know, Rama Swami hard on that. And I think um, it's for that reason. One, she really believes it and it's something that's important to her. But also she's trying to make sure that voters know that she's um, somebody that's going to stand with Israel.
0: So, Tiffany, just looking at the broader evangelical vote, the faith vote in the Republican primary, specifically in these primary voters, how critical is that vote? I mean, has it gotten watered down at all? Is it Has it been split over time or is it pretty unified? I mean, what do you... How do you decipher this, and what does it look like, especially in South Carolina, where it is so important?
1: Yeah, you know, as listeners will know, South Carolina is a deeply religious, a deeply Christian state for the most part. This is the first in the South primary, and it, you know, the state has a really good track record in primaries for both parties of, like, predicting the eventual nominee. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all kind of watching in South Carolina. And I think in 2016, like the last time we kind of had a wide-open GOP Primary, 72% of the GOP primary voters identified as evangelical. Hmm. And so it was a huge, you know, I think overall evangelicals are about a quarter of the electorate. But in South Carolina, in the GOP primary, um, you know, they're just huge. Um, and so it's really important if you're going to win over a state like South Carolina and a state like Iowa. You know, South Carolina actually has more evangelicals than Iowa, but it's still really important there as well. Mm -hmm. That's why I think a lot of these candidates know that that constituency is so important because in these early voting states, they kind of have like an – they're influential in the party overall, but they have like an outsized influence. And because those first states are going to give you momentum, you know, that's why folks are hoping to kind of win over those votes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think you kind of hear – sort of people talking about their faith journey, they're quoting scripture, they're appealing to socially conservative issues to try to make sure that people know where they stand on that.
0: So, Tiffany, when you talk about that and you talk about the importance of that vote, like you said, 72% of GOP primary voters in South Carolina are evangelical. That's that block right there. But tell us about how that really changed in 2016 because, you know, with the, the advent of Donald Trump on the campaign trail. not the most religious person, some would say, you know, doesn't hasn't that ability to really just rattle off scripture. seems like he does kind of maybe pander a little bit more directly to them. But it's interesting because his background just doesn't seem like it'd be something that would really mesh with religious voters. But he's managed to break through and connect with them. I mean, can you explain that connection and uh, Trump's connection with these voters?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say, you know, like a lot of things in politics, Donald Trump has just sort of upended lots of norms. And for Mm -hmm. those of us that have covered presidential politics and particularly when it comes to um, faith-based voters, he shocked all of us with his appeal to evangelicals. I think in the primary cycle in 2016, leading up to that election, we just all thought, well, you know, Ted Cruz is going to win them over, Marco Mm -hmm. Rubio, maybe Mm -hmm. Jeff Bush, like all of us thought, well, the evangelicals will just not be on board because he doesn't have that sense of personal piety. And we've kind of developed this tradition since the 70s and 80s, since the rise of the religious right, where we see candidates talk about their faith journeys, talk about their belief in God and their Christianity in a way to appeal to voters. And Trump just didn't do that by the same script. You know, when he quoted the Bible, he famously said two Corinthians instead of second Mm -hmm. Corinthians, you know. And some of his supporters, you know, he has charismatic evangelicals that support him and are on his advisory. And they say, oh, he is a Christian, he converted. But for those of us kind of watching from the outside, it doesn't seem like, you know, he's a, a church going. Kind of guy. Mm-hmm. What I hear when I talk to evangelical leaders now is they've kind of come to terms with it. I think there was a time when leaders thought, well, maybe we can turn the tide and our our members will not vote for Donald Trump. There was a lot of dissension there, and now I think a lot of leaders are like, well. We're on board and we and what they talk about is they, they say they want a warrior in interviews. They're not mm-hmm. looking for a pastor in chief, but a commander in chief, you know.
0: And their agenda gets pushed along as well because Donald Trump supports their agenda as well.
1: Exactly. They're like, you know, look at the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. the end of v. Wade. You know, they they held him up and they say, well, look what he's done for us. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter to us that he maybe doesn't look like what we would think the traditional Republican candidate in their personal life would look like. You know, he gets the job done and that's what's important. And, you know, when they say over the years, we've supported people that said all the right things but didn't get anything done. Mm-hmm. But he he gets it done, basically. Um, so we're just sort of seeing this kind of interesting contrast there. But it makes it, I think, really hard for other candidates to kind of get into the conversation there. Yeah. Because- I it gonna, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say come kind of my last question here is like how that is shaping up in this race. I mean, 2016 was so unique and so different. Like you're saying, upending everything and and a lot of the predictions that we thought with these more established religious politicians. But now we're back in 2024 where we are talking about Tim Scott and his background, Nikki Haley, and her background and Mike Pence, you know, someone who's very religious. Um, is there any any signaling to you, any indication that we could see more of a split when it comes to the evangelical vote this go around?
1: I think it's too soon to say in mm-hmm. terms of the primaries. I mean, I think the the polling is just overwhelmingly in favor of Donald Trump right now. And so it's hard to see how anyone else is going to kind of rise out of that and, and be able to compete. But it's also unprecedented. We don't know what's going to happen at the primaries. It'll be interesting to see, especially in Iowa and South Carolina, where these evangelical voters are a powerhouse you know, do they split the vote? Do they go for a different candidate, like a DeSantis or a Haley or a Tim Scott? Mm -hmm. Um, What does that look like? And will they stop the momentum? I mean, right now, it's starting to feel like former President Trump is inevitable. Um, Mm -hmm. But we have all these, you know, really talented politicians with really interesting stories. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens.
0: Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for chatting with us today.
1: Of course. It was my pleasure. I love, love getting to chat with my hometown station. So thank you.
0: Great talking with you, Tiffany. And thank you again. And of course, you can find that story in our show notes, folks. Now, while that was a wonderful conversation with Tiffany Stanley, how about we have another conversation with another reporter, this time South Carolina Public Radio's Mayan Schechter, right across the hallway from us here in the studio, to take a deeper look at Congressman Jeff Duncan's 12th annual Faith and Freedom Barbecue. Now, in the last episode, you guys heard clips from Tim Scott and First Lady of Florida, Casey DeSantis, but we're going to talk to Mayan Schechter and drill down a little bit deeper on what was going on up there in Anderson. Mayan, welcome to the studio.
2: As always, thank you for the invitation.
0: Yes, it's so wonderful that you're just feet away, and we can be like, "Mayan, please come, come, right. come, speak with us." Um, so, tell us about that event. You were up there with about twenty one hundred other folks. <laughs> tell us uh, what it, this event all entails.
2: Right. So, it's Jeff Duncan's annual Faith and Freedom barbecue in Anderson, South Carolina. It has been dubbed as one of the largest, if not the largest, gathering of conservatives in South Carolina. It's very kind of a similar event to what you see Congressman Jim Clyburn has every year, the fish fry Mm -hmm. or Senator Joni Ernst roast and ride, except typically every year it's got one speaker, one notable speaker. They've had Jim DeMint in the past. They've Mm -hmm. had Rand Paul a couple of years ago. They had vice president, then vice president Mike Pence. So it always features somebody pretty notable. This year, of course, um, we're preparing for a big primary year. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was supposed to be the headliner. He obviously had to go back to Florida to deal with bad weather and his wife, Casey, was there. But this year also featured Senator Tim Scott, who's also running for president, obviously. And originally, they had said that he was going to be in a more senator role for this event. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that changed <laughs> once Governor DeSantis <laughs> went back to Florida, uh, but he certainly did yeah. speak about running for president in, yeah. his, in his little stump speech at yeah, the barbecue.
0: We use some of your clips and it's like, oh, this is, this is a speech for right. the stump. I mean, because he had just done a big swing all day on Monday and it's like, oh, and the last stop was Anderson and it was just a cherry on top of campaigning.
2: Right, exactly. So it, it's a great event to kind of get the sense of where voters are in that particular region. Obviously the upstate is very different from the PD and the Midlands and the Low Country. Mm-hmm. This is a typically more kind of socially conservative bunch. But given the fact that you do have Ron DeSantis in the race, also former President Donald Trump, it did give I think reporters um, a good opportunity to kind of sense the, the vibes, if you will, um, mm-hmm. of whether they are still backing Trump, right, or whether they are shifting to other candidates.
0: Yes. Yeah, like you're saying, there were a lot of folks there, obviously, for DeSantis. But uh, what were they saying about him and other folks in the race, like Trump or Tim Scott?
2: Right. So most of the voters that I talked to, were, were they came to the event because they always come to this event. Mm. It's held every year around the same time. Um, but they came especially to hear Florida Governor Ron DeSantis speak and- Everyone I talked to was a bit disappointed that he couldn't be there, but everyone shared the same sentiment that, okay, of course, he needs to be back in Florida Mm -hmm. being a governor as a hurricane is bearing down on the state. So they all were very supportive of that. Um, A lot of people that I talked to were kind of leaning toward his camp, but they all expressed to me that they were Trump supporters. I talked to one woman, Gwen Rush, about where she kind of was standing so far in this race. Um, and she said to me that she had been looking forward to DeSantis's campaign and had said that if he got into the campaign, into the race, she would support him. Mm-hmm. Of course, we have so many months to go until yeah. February. Things could change. But several people that I talked to who were Trump voters were still— Still looking around at potentially other candidates, given that they don't know what, for example, the criminal charges will have. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's listen to Gwen really quick and what she what she told you up there in Anderson.
3: Well, I personally have not made up my mind yet. I have been a Trump supporter, um, you know, from day one. But I always said that if um, DeSantis should run for president, that I would support him because he seems to... um, shared Donald Trump's um, views on the way things should be, Um, but he's a little more settled. Um, And so I always said that if he ever run for president, that I would support him, but um, really haven't totally 100% made up my mind. Are you a little disappointed
2: that he won't
3: be here tonight? I am very disappointed, uh, but I do appreciate his wife filling in for him but it's still not quite
0: the same. So, Mayan, that was Gwen Rush telling you there that she likes DeSantis more than Trump because DeSantis is a bit more settled. What were some other folks telling you about Trump? Um, maybe about the indictments or some of the baggage going on?
2: So the overwhelming... I guess, response to that question that, that I got from voters was they don't, first of all, they don't believe any of the indictments. They think the indictments, no pun intended, are super trumped up and that it's just the federal government, the Biden administration going after the former president. So those really don't hold, I think, a lot of weight on them. Now, to, the, to, to Gwen Rush's comment about DeSantis appearing more settled, I mean, I do think in some ways that sentiment is felt among other voters that, while DeSantis still seems to carry the kind of same policies that that Trump uh, does as well, that they have some similarities. He just doesn't have quite the the drama that is surrounding him. He is not under federal and investigation or mm-hmm. by a Georgia grand jury mm-hmm. either. So that I, I think that was the, the overwhelming sentiment that I got. And and I talked to two other voters, a couple from Anderson, um Mike and and Gene. Mike and Jean Pavey, thank you. Um and and they were very much shared the same response that they they like Trump, they they voted for Trump, but given all the criminal charges that they are
0: still looking around. Yeah, here's Mike and Jean Pavey.
3: We voted for Trump last time. We're kind of Trumpers, but with all that's going on, I don't know what's going to happen, so who knows? He may not be around, but I don't know. And we like Scott DeSantis. Hey, all of them are... We just got to keep learning more and more about them to find out which way we might lean, so we'll see. What about you, sir?
1: Well, I've always been a a guy
3: that liked Trump. But he's in such hot water at the moment that uh, I know Senator Scott. I like him. I like his ideals, uh, the beliefs he has. I'm going to wait and
1: see.
2: Speaking of Senator Tim Scott, who obviously spoke that night, here's what Gwen Rush said to me about him.
3: Actually, I knew Tim Scott when he was um, a member of the city council in Charleston. And we go back a long way, and I have supported him um, through the years, you know. So, um, and I think that he is a very good candidate. I mean, it's really going to be hard to choose. It really is because, um, I mean, I have, I have the utmost respect for, for Tim Scott and voting for him, you know, um, through the years.
0: Yeah, so Myan, like you're hearing from folks and they're really kind of, uh, obviously we're six months away from South Carolina, we're mm-hmm. closer to Iowa and folks in, in the primaries and the caucuses, but um, everyone's still waiting to see a lot, obviously not too fired up either about Tim Scott, he's kind of, you know, lukewarm in the polls, there's a lot of like waiting and seeing, but I mean, what, what was the vibe from what you got from other folks on the ground there?
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody likes him. They think very, very highly on him. And I don't think this is an indictment on him or his personality, his campaign. They're just looking at different candidates. They want someone like Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis who kind of gets in the mud a little bit more on some mm-hmm. of these policies and in the debates as well? Yeah, we saw them in the
0: debates,
3: right?
2: Sure. All of them told me that they they like him, they respect him, they would absolutely support if he was the vice president mm-hmm. of either DeSantis or or Trump. Mm-hmm. But based on my conversations, when I would ask voters who the first person that they were looking at. Tim Scott just was not number one on their list. There were Tim Scott supporters there. Mm-hmm. Um, it did seem that the uh, volunteers uh, from the DeSantis campaign outnumbered the Tim Scott volunteers a bit more. They were a little bit louder. Obviously, their uh, their person was yeah, was yeah. going to be there as well. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I think people really do like Tim Scott. They respect Tim Scott, but. I, I just did not get the sense that they were that fired
0: they, up and ready to go for him. Yeah. No,
2: this was definitely uh, a bit more of a DeSantis, Trump
0: mm-hmm. crowd,
2: mm-hmm. I would say.
0: Yeah. And that's something that we're, you know, both him and Nikki Haley and other folks are really trying to shake that VP contest title, too. But I think Vivek Ramaswamy is definitely giving them a run for the money now. being Absolutely. Especially if you're talking about Trump and Trump even saying like, oh, you know, I'm, uh, he's a good guy. Vivek's, uh, you know, and he's very close to a lot of the talking points and that energy that folks are really big about we saw a lot of that in the debate him uh, taking incoming fire from folks and just hitting it right back especially with Nikki Haley so um, there might be a new contender for VP in the race we have
2: so many months to go so much time
0: well thank you Mayan Uh, thank you for that reporting we'll be we'll be on the trail with you
2: thanks so much Gavin
0: also folks we have a programming update for you No, I'm pretty much done with vacation for the foreseeable future. That's not what this is about. Maybe I'll take time off at Christmas if I'm lucky. Maybe next June. Who knows? No, this update is about the show itself. That's right. Starting on September 5th and every other Tuesday through Super Tuesday in March, we are bringing you in-depth episodes looking at the South Carolina Republican presidential primary. That's right. We're about to be in a post-Labor Day world. A.K. we're less than six months away from February 24th in the primary, so time to start studying up on the first in the South primary. We're going to explore how we got this title, why the state is so important, how candidates can win the state, that's right, free advice, and the stories behind the most recent primary wins and much more. These episodes will be available on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and at SCETV.org SC2024. SCETV and South Carolina Public Radio are committed to bringing you comprehensive coverage of the entire Republican presidential primary process. That's right. Podcasts, online stories, over air reporting, This Week in South Carolina, websites, the podcast, we mentioned the podcast, everything, folks. We are here for you, so stay tuned. We got you covered. And the low, low price of free. It's free. I mean, you pay a little bit of taxes, but It's free. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news and we're glad that you're here folks. We're glad that you made it this far that you're sticking around, you're listening to us Friday t Shire. This is
4: basically the third interview of this. It's this is basically a triple dip. I yeah. mean, we're not going to lie. I where where else are you getting this value, huh? <laughs> how like the ROI on this listen? Come and how on. How much
0: does this cost uh,
4: to the listener? Yeah. It's free.
0: Oh my god!
4: And we've done massive negotiations. All yes, around. we.
0: You know, and we never we don't talk about this, but people have been coming to us like you should just charge, just make them pay for yeah. it. And we're like, no, 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 we're gonna take salary cuts. <laughs> yeah, Gavin and I, we have foregone raises. We're paying, we're paying because for because we're you. like, no, guys, they're like, oh, you should charge for the voicemail box we're like no we got to keep it
4: you, free. If you all knew how hard it was for us to do this show. I mean we have to cross yeah. the 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 writer strike picket line every day it to is, come do this show.
0: We've been blacklisted. Hollywood <laughs> hates us. Uh, no, actually, <laughs> everything we just said is not true, but we do this we in solidarity with the anyway. writers
4: and the listeners. Anyway, Gavin. But you
0: should really consider donating to the ETV Endowment if you are not a member of the ETV Endowment. Yes. Yeah. Throw and them attention. 40 bucks, get the sticker, maybe
4: more beasts, just send to our. Just star. make a check out to cash, send it to 1041 George Rogers Boulevard, Care courtesy of, of lead. Gavin Jackson. We, have, yeah. we
0: will make sure it gets to the right people. Exa-
4: yeah, we will make sure. It make gets it, to it right. out to cash. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of the those listeners who are sending us cash. Uh, well, we got another one. Okay. Pay okay. to play. So, are you ready, Gavin, for this call of an old friend? Yes. Okay, here we go.
1: Hey, AP and Gavin. CJ,
4: your good buddy. Just call in uh, from uh, Gavin and Megan stomping grounds the good old I-26 coming back from Greenville. Uh, it is currently Tuesday at 3.50, and I'm just jonesing for that next lead, so... I thought you guys would like to know that uh, I am a true addict when it comes to the lead, and I have been refreshing every stop that I make to see if it's available, uh, and I am just I just can't wait, uh, but I guess I will tune in tomorrow morning as I make my coffee uh, before I go fling beer to all the lovely drinking establishments of Columbia, South Carolina. I hope you guys are doing well, and I will talk to you later.
0: C.J., great to hear from you, sir, driving on I-26, but we do recommend that you pull over when you're calling us unless you're hands-free. You
4: gotta (laughs) gotta be flag down the people around you, get them all over to call. And I'm
0: sorry that we uh, released that episode late. I know we told you guys I was traveling, I was back home. wasn't a vacation. Yeah, it was not a vacation, it was a workation. Yes, yes. AT is funny because we were talking about, like, I forgot one cable. I forgot. (sighs) This is the first time on the road remotely that I forgot a cable, the XLR cable. Uh, So I had to run to my nearest guitar center, which I've never been in before. Nightmares. Uh, As uh,
4: as a guitar major, they are the worst places in the world, I would (laughs) say. Um, It's terrible. There's always like... Someone who's very bad playing very loud.
0: Yeah, someone was editing some weird music or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like looking around for my XLR. I mean, I knew, I knew it was there, but I was you just know like poking yeah. around. Um, they don't help you. It was it was it was exciting. <laughs> the teens uh, that work I, there I don't was like, help. Oh, I look at all the audio equipment. So that was interesting to me. But I I don't play any instruments, so that, that was you're that talentless. Was it. You're talentless. I am very much talentless. <laughs> When it comes, to, we we just like my parents were just like, nah, – the boys don't need an they instrument, don't need it. Yeah. yeah, like they were like, nah, nah. Like, at least your you get three boys. everyone's gonna want an instrument, right? Exactly. And they all know that their children are not musically inclined. Besides my <laughs> my singing voice, yes, <laughs> which is finally cleared <laughs> up. If you been know, listening, so <laughs> yeah, I'm daring my brother Nick to call him. But I, uh, speaking of my brothers, um, my other brother was moving out west, and I was like, you need some podcasts to listen to. Mm-hmm. And Colin, you know, he's been doing he's been doing a lot of work stuff in preparation. And he's been tied up just focusing on work. And at one point during one of his going away meals, he turns to me and says, so, like, who's running in the presidential race? Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, yes. And he's <laughs> like, Joe Biden's still running. He's like, oh, my baby. Like, Colin, like, knows what's going on. Like, we have memes and stuff. But, like, Nick. I think he's just been focused. He's not a big political guy, but... I was like, you need to listen to my pod and just understand yeah, please. things. And he, he's like, oh, okay. And so I, I subscribed him to a bunch of different pods that thank I have Thank you for to. filling. Thank thank you for filming. Doing main, my Kevin. part.
4: But that is not. Because the... he's driving across the country right now. That so. is not the biggest thing that happened to you. No.
0: That is just, yeah, just a couple little things happened. That's every day. Um, first of all, the bad travel juju followed us from, from Miami. From Miami. Miami. I was trying to leave out of Columbia. You know, it's an easy jump from Columbia Should to be. D.C. Uh it was not. We had some sort of generator issue. Then we needed more fuel, and then we had this. So then you get to Reagan, and there's nowhere to park the plane. And I was like, luckily, I had no connections. I was just a free agent. So you just have no
4: connections in life. You're free. yeah and I was like,
0: okay, well, like leave that alone. And then on the way back, on this is where it happened. Wednesday folks. morning, everyone's like, oh my god, the storm. Are you storm, gonna make it home before the storm? storm? I mean, you mean the rain? Yeah, yeah, planes can fly in the rain, folks. We have that technology. But there was a special guest on the flight. As you were entering the plane. So I was waiting to swipe to get on the the you know on the plane. I, my pass and this woman in front of me. I'm like, oh, this woman's taking forever. Who is this woman? Come on. And then it's like I see like the hair and I'm like, oh, my God. I know that hair. I know that. I know all this. <laughs> and I think back because we got an email last week saying Judy Woodruff uh-huh. of PBS NewsHour fame, uh-huh. longtime anchor, uh-huh. was going to be in Columbia on Wednesday as part of her America at a Crossroads series. She was doing some interviews. And I'm like oh, my gosh, that is the idol, the icon. Judy Woodruff. Judy Woodruff. And I was she like, is and here her. I am, like, judging this one. I'm like, hurry up! And then, unfortunately, there was a woman in front of me who cut in front of me, do the boarding groups, like, it was a quick you call. Just, I was you frustrated. Just, you just look cuttable. And, <laughs> anyway, so we're walking down the jetway, and poor Judy is carrying two roller bags and a Starbucks coffee. Mm, I don't get coffee because you have to do all that. So it's a pain. And this flight attendant, luckily, sees her, helps her out, carries one of her roller bags, and I was like, oh, Okay. Then I was
4: Decency like, does exist in this world.
0: Yes, especially when
4: you're but then, a celebrity. Then you shot your uh, but shot. But then
0: I was like, okay, we're dropping our bags off at the end of the jet bridge. I probably didn't need to do it, but I was like, this is my way of talking. This to is her. your chance. And uh, you know, it's a very confusing time. You're boarding a plane. You don't want to make sure you lose things. Everything's going on. And then all of a sudden, this like haggard, uh, rough-looking, thirty-something, charming, maybe man. late twenties. <laughs> Someone would say maybe late twenties. <laughs> uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm behind Judy. I'm like, uh, Miss Woodruff, like, I'm not gonna card Judy because I think this is kind of rude. Please. I don't know her like that. Yeah. And, uh, she pops up. She's like, hey, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm Gavin Jackson with ETV. I know you're coming to South Carolina. You know, uh, I'm not here because you're coming here. <laughs> I'm here because I'm on a flight back from home. I'm talking too much now. <laughs> she's like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, can I take a picture
4: with you? There's that's, I, that's what we're getting. Can I take a picture, please? And I'm
0: not a big starstruck person because you know, it's our but job. But Judy, she is her. Oh my gosh, like, yes, like it's She just, is the like, moment.
4: You know, she is it's the
0: PBS, <laughs> it's the news hour. It's like she's my go to the integrity. icon, like the integrity. And she's like, Oh, yeah, let's take it right here where everyone wants their picture taken at the jet bridge. Like, look how <laughs> photogenic this is. I'm like, uh-huh, You can make fun of me, Judy. I don't care. I'm getting this yeah, photo. Yeah, drag me, drag me. Uh, and then we're talking, and you know, she sits in first class, and then obviously I go to the back of the plane. Uh, a big moment for me, even though I like just replayed it over and over in my mind. How, about how, like, how terribly like, you was handled that annoying. It? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you know, you should if you, you, if you just, don't want to be recognized, Judy, put a hat on. You should have just yelled like the rest at her.
4: Of us. Like, hey, I have a podcast. Speak to me anyway. Speaking of the back of the plane, Gavin, I think that story brings us to the back of this podcast. If you've ever met a famous person oh, and put yeah. a foot in your mouth, yeah, please call in. Let us know. Definitely want to hear that story. Yeah, I have a few um, that I just bothered them.
0: Uh, but uh <laughs> what? Yes. Who could imagine that? Yeah. Anyway. Call in so we can hear a T story. The only way we're gonna unlock A T story is if you call. Exactly. You have to or pay,
4: unless you subscribe to our Patreon. You have to pay uh the AT coin. One coin per story. Anyway, cool. uh have a good weekend. We love you all. Gavin, say the outro. Yes folks,
0: be like CJ and leave us a message at 803-563-7169. What celebrity have you annoyed or fawned over in public? Let us know. And we can hear from AT as well. And you can always show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can stay with the latest news on SCTV.org and South Carolina And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina.
4: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're saying this. so <laughs>